Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, someone I've been on the road with for many years now, an old friend of mine, Jasmine White Gluz of the band No Joy, also of the band Bad Flirt. That's how I first met her years ago, touring in Bad Flirt. Anyway, more on that in a second. But first, if you would like to get in touch with me, you can head over to to uh, the email address, turned out a punk podcast at gmail.com and send me an email there. And you know what? Any more requests for those t-shirts? I think we have a couple more left, so send them on in. I know I keep saying that, and it's because I, I really haven't had a chance to go through and check the sizes. So maybe hold off on sending emails about those shirts. Um, yeah, I got to figure this shirt thing out. Anyway. But uh, if you would like to get in touch with me more immediately, not about shirts again, you can hit me up on Twitter at Damien or find me on Instagram at Damien. Uh, you can also, uh, you can find us on Facebook. There's a Turned On Punk Facebook page run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham. Tristan, thank you for doing all this hard work that you do. Anyway, Tristan will uh, get the message to me. You can also post things up on that Turned On Punk Facebook page and you know, the interact and there's stuff that people send into the show that gets posted up there. But if you don't use Facebook, you want to see that kind of stuff. You can go over to the turnoutapunk.tumblr.com. There's a Tumblr page as well. You can also uh, find this show on iTunes. If you use iTunes and if you do use iTunes, please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and write a review for it. If you are so inclined. And while you're there, you'll see there are other podcasts in the turn out of punk family, such as turn out punk footnotes, hosted by Chris O'Toole and myself, where we dissect Turned Out of Punk episodes and kind of get into the the nitty-gritty, get into the discographies, get into the, the label histories, all kinds of nerdy crap. We also get into a fun mailbag show on there, too. So anyway, Turned Out of Punk footnotes is where you want to check that stuff out. And if you are someone who is interested in cannabis and would like to hear two medical patients that are prescribed cannabis discussing issues around cannabis, please tune into Oil and Flowers, hosted by my good buddy Buddha Blaze. And I'm kind of like in that uh, sidecar riding on that motorcycle with him or beside that motorcycle with him. You know, I'm like the the Andy Richter to his, his Conan. Like he's the host. I'm the co-host on that thing because believe me, he knows he knows a great deal about that wonderful plant. The cannabis plant, that is. Well, I guess it's kind of several plants. Anyway, that's the kind of nerdy shit we get into on that show. So you will find those podcasts also in that feed. And if you do not use iTunes and you want to find those podcasts, they are posted in feeds on all sorts of other podcast mediums out there. So if you want to support this podcast on those, do so. Whatever you do on those types of mediums to support podcasts, please find a way and do it and do it. And that would be great. Thank you very much. Speaking of support... The best way to support this podcast that anyone has found so far are the fine folks at Vans, uh, other than you, of course, telling all your friends. But, I mean, Vans gave me money so I didn't have to pay for this out of my own pocket anymore, which is awesome. So thank you very much, Vans, and they just let me book whoever I want to book. And that's why I keep booking. And also, there are going to be some cool things happening in the near future with Vans and myself and Turn Out a Punk. We will be going uh, on some live trips again this summer, so... I will be heading out on that road very soon to talk to you about all sorts of cool things, you know, and maybe meet some of you. If I'm at one of those festivals, you know, come and say hi. And that's, once again, thanks, Vance. 
So today on the show, Jasmine. Now, Jasmine is someone that I've known for a number of years. We've gotten to tour together in two different bands. Uh, her and Laura were the sort of front people, I guess is the best way to put it, in No Joy, or sorry, in Bad Flirt, who were the band that we played with first, and then, of course, went on to form No Joy, where they uh, found my cousin, Garland, who was the drummer in that band for a good number of years, and no longer is the drummer in the band, but... Jasmine has continued to release unbelievable music. Uh, she's got a brand new collaboration with Sonic Boom from Spaceman 3 that you have to hear because um, it's very interesting, fascinating. Um, we talk about actually Spaceman 3. I'll get to this note right now later on in this episode. And I'm so excited I just refer to him as Pete. So <laughs> just so you forewarned, when I say Pete, I mean Sonic Boom from Spaceman 3. But anyway, she's collaborated with him and yeah just kind of really made a name for being at the forefront of trippy psyched out kind of shoegazy flavored guitar rock and she's someone that i knew came from of course the punk rock and so what better way to kind of find out about all the stuff that i've never gotten to talk to her about than by having her as a guest on the show this show really exists so i can have all these sorts of conversations with friends where you know it really just isn't ever something that comes up but now i can because i have this show so this is fantastic uh this is a fun episode jasmine has some amazing stories and is as I say to her in this, like someone that has a story that is truly inspiring and someone that, you know, fucking had to carve their own path, force their way into the music scene that wasn't letting them into the music scene and has done so in spectacular fashion and yeah, an inspiration. So everyone, please sit back, relax and enjoy Jasmine White. Gloves on Turned Out a Punk. Horrific. Horrific oh. reality. Jasmine, I could talk to you forever about <laughs> wrestling, but that I'll is listen. not why you're here. That is not why you're here. Um, thank you so much for coming of course, on the show. Of course. We have been many places around the world playing together. Yes. But we are now in one of the dingiest backstages <laughs> we've ever been in. This is probably one of the worst, but, yeah. uh, you know, the, here we are. I think the coolest one was the subway train on yes. the roof in England. That was, that was in London, In right? London, yeah. yeah. That was, was great. It was a fantastic uh, it was like a, view and everything. It's, huge, it's like in a train. It was really fun. Yeah, but you know what? It's okay. Yeah, they haven't had, they have not had all three Hank Williams play. <laughs> At that venue, they like, have here at the Horseshoe. Oh my God! They don't call it the legendary. Exactly, for exactly. Yeah. Legendary, legendary comes with a funky price sometimes. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's okay. Yeah, uh, but that's not why we're here. We're not here to discuss the decor. Yes, we're here to discuss you. Uh, and I got to start this off the way I start them all off, which is Jasmine. How did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Ah. Uh, I don't know that it the first time, let's say, but I think it definitely was through Hole, mm -hmm. like listening to Hole and seeing women play guitar and then going down that rabbit hole like, what's Bikini Kill? What's L7? And then like exploring from there. Yeah. I think that was probably my first, um, where I, I took it really seriously. Growing up too, there was always like... I like the Ramones, or I, I'm this, when you're, you know, trying to fit into, like, a little mold. But I think Hole was the first band where I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. Like, yeah. I get what's going on here. So. And had you been to any concerts or anything before that? Because you've mentioned, like, you know, being in the Ramones, that's kind of like a deeper cut for a young kid to get Maybe. into. Maybe. I, I think, actually, my first show, I don't know if you were there, Garland was at the, the same show that I went to. Really? So Garland must have been, like, eight, because I was... <laughs> 13, I think. Yeah. Um, it was No Doubt with Siv and the Vandals. Wow, no, it, I was not at that show. But that tour came here. Yeah, so it was in Montreal. It was like 1996, I yeah. think, or 97. So that was the first show that I saw. Was that before you had heard Hole, or was that after you? It was after. That okay. was after. But okay. but um, I think I just, I have pretty cool parents, so also they were like oh, really into Bowie and really into Tom Petty and just like always had music around and music magazines, so I would always just kind of go through that and like 
Yes. Pick up on stuff. Because I was going to say, you're the first siblings mm-hmm. that have ever been on this show. Oh, no way. Yeah, we've like, never had any, <laughs> any, any siblings before, but yeah. I guess it like speaks to yeah. Yeah, the musical household you grew yeah, up in. Yeah, definitely. We always had music around. So. so was that where you would hear the Ramones when you were like in the Ramones? Yeah. Your parents had that stuff? I think they, they just like had it around. They, they would always buy like books about music and and anthologies about music and there was always vinyl around and they, they'd always have like vinyl that I don't even think they honestly listened to but they probably just like <laughs> got from people and had it around so I'd always go through it and see like what's Blondie what's this but it was kind of just Ramones and, and things like that were like the, the big bands that you kind of already knew what they were even yeah. if you hadn't heard them so it was just like yeah and where did you first hear Hole do you remember I think it probably was like much music yeah. or something like that I, I think it was definitely like I didn't hear about them before they were very big, I think, or like lived through this. Yeah, came out. Heard, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure it was much music or um, I, or like maybe the radio. But I'm, I think much music and the Wedge were always really good um, resources yeah. to to like see what was going on. It's weird to like grow up now. And like I still like muscle memory go to much music. Like thirty, mine was thirty-five. Mine was twenty-nine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's still twenty-nine. Yeah. So like muscle memory is like so twenty-nine. Funny. It's so funny. And then, but it's it's never music. Yeah. <laughs> never, which is really bad. I'm like, please, 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 something. Please. No whammies, no whammies. Oh no. And then it's yeah. never. No. But yeah, it was. But what was the like the rock radio in Montreal? It was pretty funny because there's obviously like some stuff that does well in Montreal that doesn't do well elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of acts that will just like thrive. So there's a lot of like a lot of prog was always popular and a lot of stuff like, um, I don't know, like there was Shome, the yeah. rock radio yeah. station, you know, there's a lot of that. I also listened to The Buzz, which was coming from Vermont, but that you could pick oh, it up on the radio in Montreal. Yeah, so I've heard that. Yeah. They had, like, the alternative station. That was probably when I was in high school, and they played, like... That's probably when I, like, got into new metal, because they played all that <laughs> kind of stuff. And when you listen to it now, it's like, they still play stuff from, like, 1998, where you're like, oh, okay, there's no new music. <laughs> That's what happens to all those, like, alternative yeah. stations. They just, just kind of, like, like, froze. Yeah. Just, like, Green Day and, like, Pearl Jam and, and some, like, I don't know. Alice in Chains. Yeah, Alice in Chains, Chains, big, big. Corn. Big on the corn. Big on the corn. Big on the corn. What was the, uh, what was the, I guess, that drew you to, like, like, whole and, like, aggressive guitar music more than any other type of music? I just thought it was, like, I don't know, between seeing people like Courting Love or Kim Gordon, like, kind of being stars but not having to, like, be a pop star Mm -hmm. was really interesting Mm -hmm. to me and, and having this, like, they were just also, like, badass. They just were so cool and... Um, Melissa Oftemar, who was from Montreal, like she joined Hole, so it was this sort of like myth of like, oh my god, <laughs> like she was plucked from here, and now she's in the band. And like, I remember watching Hole Unplugged, just being like, this is like the best thing I've ever seen because it's so punk, but it's like acoustic. And so I don't know, there's just something about that, like. I mean, pictures of me of that era are so ugly because I tried to like do the like baby clips and like the baby dresses, but I was just like a weird tween. They like looked so bad. The baby clips were popular in my house. Yeah. <laughs> myself, we would was, put them in our hair too. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was the time. It was the time. It was the time. But I just liked how they were like in charge. It kind of seemed like they were in charge of the stuff. I don't know. Yeah, because I was I was wondering, like, I guess that's what I was trying to get at. Like, if you had known that Melissa was in the band at that point, was that, like, a big... That was a big thing, yeah. I remember the, that here was a big yeah, thing. Yeah, it was a big thing, because I didn't really know her. I didn't know her personally, yeah. um, but I knew of her local bands, and, like, they were kind of, like, around in Montreal, but when she joined, it was, like, a media blitz. Like, mm-hmm. everyone was just talking about it, because it was kind of at the height of their of whole success is when she joined so it was sort of like it, it made this like weird thing like maybe someone's gonna ask me to join their big band I can play yeah just wait for the call but well yeah cause Melissa's father was like a, he's like yeah. a famous journalist yeah or was famous yeah that's right, right? yeah, yeah. He, I think he worked for the Gazette yeah the Gazette so um and this sh- she, she went to the same college I did and um it just like yeah it was just like this really cool connection and then I don't know. Have you gone to meet her since? Yeah, yeah. We we played uh, Basilica Soundscape where she was. Um, I think she 
built the building or oh, she helped cool. curate it. So yeah, we played it and we did a panel with her at North by Northeast. She's so nice. So nice. So nice. Like, yeah, she was just like always a vision as, as a young person being like, oh my gosh, that could be me. Yeah, yeah, and especially because <laughs> like someone who, like as you say, they were the biggest band in the world and, that time. Yeah, and she was just like, she wasn't a local star, let's say. Yeah, like it wasn't yeah. like she was like a already a, a hugely established artist. She just like kind of got plucked and joined the band and was like, whoa. Yeah. So cool. That's awesome. <laughs> So where did you kind of go, you know, you found Hole, you heard them, where'd you kind of go from there? Were you buying records or CDs at that point? Yeah, yeah, I was buying lots of records, um, really trying to go to a lot of shows. Like, um, my friends and I just felt like we had to go to all the shows, <laughs> which is now not what I do, but it's yeah. one thing where you're like, oh, there are this many shows happening, I have to go to them all, because especially if they're all ages, you're like, I just have to go to all of them. And it was that sort of thing that, like, You'd see a show listing with the headliner band, and then you'd see the openers or the support. And then the next time the support came, it's like, well, they opened for that band, and I like that band, so I have to go see them now. So we would always go to, like, Lex in Montreal. Um, What's that place? Lex, it was an all-ages venue across from Fafoon Electric. Oh, I know Fafoon, yeah, but I don't think I ever went to, to Lex. Lex or anything Yeah, like it was, it was all-ages. They had, like, mostly... Punk and hardcore, but then I mean they, they had some. I saw Pieball there. I see I've seen like indie bands there okay. too. Um, it shut down, but it was all ages and it was kind of like the place to go. Was it bigger than Linko Cafe? What, like, it was a little bit. Mm, I don't know if it was a little bigger, but it was just a little bit more. They had a lot of touring acts through there, yeah. and it was sort of like the place to be seen. I think I could imagine Cafe Linko if you were a touring act would not have been the the best uh, <laughs> you've been the, what like, we're here what are we doing like the front was like a AA I it believe. was an AA yeah it was an AA clubhouse yeah yeah which is great you it's, know yeah absolutely and as a straight edge person I could right yeah know. it was I mean that place was fun I always found it was a little out of the way it was very it was out like of the way Papino or something so Lex was like right across from Fofs and Metropolis and you could kind of like take the subway there mm. and it was all ages and you kind of got to know the same people and I met a bunch of people this makes me seem like a loser but I met a bunch of people because we would just like wait out to meet the bands after shows yeah. even if I didn't like them I'd just be like oh, I just wanted them to sign something which yep. was very stupid I used to do that uh, yeah I got a shirt signed by every band I saw the first couple years really? of the shows yeah, yeah. I've, I was going through some of my I have like a lot of clothes in storage but I found like a Zucker Baby shirt. Do you remember Zucker Baby? Zucker Baby. This is like this is like CanCon 1998. Like I don't or, or Glue Leg. I think they're Glue Leg. Like, I remember yeah, Glue Leg. Yeah. Definitely. I found like signed T-shirts. Where I was like, why <laughs> did I do this? Like, it, why do I still have this? Gotta play much music for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Like Age of Electric. All the like CanCon yeah. stuff. I definitely like. Age like, of Electric's pretty sick though. It's pretty good. Yeah, like Limlifter. Limlifter's sick. Yeah. And Limlifter, I think, because of the new pornographers, yeah. has been kind of like accepted as like a, as a not oh, an, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not embarrassing. It's to not Glue Like. Glue like. <laughs> 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 just on Glue Like. How often does Glue Like come up in your podcast? <laughs> I'm just, I was actually thinking, how many times did Glue Like sit in this very room we're sitting in? <laughs> oh no, probably the ghost of Glue Like yeah. here. Oh god. <laughs> but it's it's a very weird time to look back at like Canadian popular music yeah. because you had a lot of stuff that. I don't. I don't necessarily revisit now, but then mm. you had Sloan, you had yeah. Limlifter, yeah. you had Age of Electric, you had. There was some cool stuff. Yeah, there was some really cool stuff. Um, it was just a weird time too, because I remember a lot of stuff. I couldn't always. F I. It was hard sometimes to find the records too. You'd have mm -hmm. to like really hunt to find certain things because it wasn't always at HMV, mm -hmm. like at, at the mall that you could go to. So like finding independent record stores was always a little bit of a. In the burbs didn't exist, so I'd have to travel to get to them. What were like some of the independent stores at that time that you were going? Oh gosh, because Le Lex had a record store on top of oh, it. Oh really? Yeah. So there was like the show venue in the bottom, and then upstairs was oh, a record store. Was that like? Did it used to be that store like way out at a mall, and it was like a punk store, and it had like a skate thing in the back, and it was like in the way north in the city, I think. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the name. The guy had a label. I'll, I'll fix this in oh the my God. Yeah. I can't remember what it is, but it's yeah. like, ah. Uh, maybe. And, he had, and then it just became a skate store and it moved downtown a little oh, bit. Oh, Underworld? No. Underworld. 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 It was yeah. across the street from Underworld. Oh, okay. It was exactly okay. across okay. the street. Yeah. That was, okay. So that was like the trifecta. You go to Lex, you go to Underworld, <laughs> yeah. you go to Foofs, you're like hitting all the marks. 
So that I remember that record store. They it was pretty great. It was they, awesome. Yeah, they had a lot of stuff. I remember going there for the first time, and it was just like all these records that I only yeah. read about in fanzines. Yeah, and yeah. Like, How do they have this? Yeah. this is from Europe. Yeah, that was. I also started um, like probably later in my teens, but I started. Uh, a fake blog or like a fake magazine so I could get press passes to shows. <laughs> so I got into like all the warp tours and lots of shows where I'd interview the bands, but like honestly the interviews went nowhere. Do you still <laughs> I, have the tapes? I don't think so. Like uh, I, I feel like there's some good ones. I remember interviewing my chemical romance in a women's bathroom at in at Rainbow, which was a venue in NDG. Um, which another all ages venue? Would that been like that been an early time for them coming through. Right? It would have been like two thousand two, maybe two thousand one, okay, or something like that. Maybe two thousand two. Okay, they were definitely like support on some other show. Okay, yeah. Um, but but my friends and I would just like, yeah, we're gonna interview the bands and like, I mean, so if I was the band getting interviewed <laughs> by these dumbass sixteen year olds, just being like, so here are our questions, like, and it was going nowhere. It was just so I get into the shows for free. Yeah. Um. So we did that a lot, <laughs> and then I kind of like let that turn into when I actually realized that I liked writing. I started writing for Exclaim, and okay. then I got a lot of records from them to review, which are still available on the Exclaim website. And it's extremely embarrassing. <laughs> it is horrifying to see how much I liked like some some like scream out like some tooth and nail scream out that I was really into. <laughs> Gave it glowing reviews, but yet like reviewed Arcade Fire live and was like, "This sucks." Like, I was just not. Clearly not that good at journalism, but that's how I got a lot of records. You're like a young person, like, you know, kind of finding, yeah, you know, yeah. and unfortunately it's now, like in times past, that would just be in some shitty zine that yeah, no one would remember. Exactly. But now it's like you Google my name or, or anything and it's like, that's, <laughs> that's up there. That's yes, right there. Your fanzine travels with you. Now. Oh, gosh. Well, we kind of, you know, and Tristan and I did that same scam too, yeah. of having a fake zine. <laughs> And, uh, but I, I, if you found those tapes, that's your podcast. You just put out those whole tapes oh now. Oh my God. And that can't be, you know, you're saying 16 year olds, you know, but I get interviewed and you get interviewed by some pretty dumb adults. <laughs> that's true. So. That's true. Actually, that's true. So maybe it was, maybe they, it was endearing. I'm yeah. Sure. I was, I was going to say like a, a bunch of high energy young people interviewing yeah. me would be a lot more endearing. Than yeah. Some, yeah. Completely out of touch person my age. True. That's, you have a point. You do have a point. <laughs> it's true. Well, on to this next out of touch person's question. Am I, <laughs> no. no. Let's, um, but like, where did you kind of get into that Screamo stuff? So you, you started going to these shows. What were some of the bands, you know, other than Blue Leg? Yeah. That, that stood out to you? Um, I'm trying to think, like, obviously, like the Midwestern email stuff, like Braid, um, even like, Get Up Kids, mm-hmm. stuff like that. We got it. I was into... Um, Where were you hearing that stuff? Because that's not, that wasn't playing on the radio. No. You know what's weird? It was... I remember hearing about Get Up Kids through... Um, you would get, like... Sometimes if you'd order... So I'd order Blink-182 records, and then they would have... Something would be like, Tom's pick is... Mark's pick is, oh. so Mark's pick was Get Up Kids, Tom's pick was Fugazi, which is how I first heard Fugazi, which is <laughs> embarrassing, but that's so I would learn, like, oh, if Tom likes Fugazi, I do too, I'll just buy it blindly, and Get Up Kids was um, Mark's pick, and then Get Up Kids were, like, support on a Blink show or something. What so. were you ordering, like, what uh, Blink-182 stuff? Like, the um, singles, or? I think it was, like, it just was the, the, uh, dr- was it drive through? I'm not sure what the label was. Oh, yeah, they had their own thing, right? They had their own thing. It would just like come with the record that you bought. That's kind of cool that they do that. Yeah, I, I mean, that's how I heard about Jimmy World too. Yeah. It was like they, they, I think that was Mark's pick was Jimmy World. So it was like, oh, cool, Jimmy World. I like this. So a lot of that, like, kind of emo stuff. Is there, there was like, a, that was also the bands of that era, like, were kind of like paying it forward and. And yeah, up, like smaller bands. Totally. Remember, like you know, I mentioned No Doubt bringing Civ on tour. Yeah, and like yeah. Green Day bringing Pansy Division on tour yeah, and stuff so like crazy. that. Yeah, it's yeah. just like it's like, you know, it's like I, I'd like to think that if I ever found myself in a really popular band, I would have the same presence yeah. of mind. Yeah, totally. You know, but I probably let the label pick the band. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool. I mean, and I thought I thought about a funny thing that happens. Like, so the first band I ever saw live was Civ. And then we just did a tour with Quicksand. Oh, yeah. And so it was like, hey, Walter, like, actually, he wasn't, he didn't play that show. No. It's just like, this is a weird fact. <laughs> well, I think he wasn't contractually allowed, allowed to be to in the be, band. Something about that, where he, like, wrote stuff, but then was, he wasn't yeah, ever there. Yeah, like, be in it. Yeah. He's, like, 
without a doubt, one of the nicest people I've oh met God. in music. The, the greatest human. Yeah. Just, I don't even know how a person that, like, perfect exists, but it does, and it's Walter Trifles. Yeah. It's perfect. Well, especially, you know, you read about the craziness of the scene he came out of. And there's, he's, <laughs> I know, I know. Him and, him and Melissa Oftimar, you know, both have, like, the, they must have to be really just grounded people to I be know. able to ride those waves. I know, way. I know, I don't even know. Like, and we we did that tour with him, and, like, well, we did a tour with Quicksand, but we did one in Europe where the bus broke. We were all supposed to share a bus, and the bus broke down, so we ended up cramming into a sprinter altogether. And, like, we're used to being in a small yeah. van, but, like, Sergio, it, the bass player of Quicksand, He's in the Deftones. Yeah. Like, he had a fine time, but he ha- probably hasn't toured in a van in, like, 20 years or something. <laughs> but Walter was just, like, totally... He tours with Dead Heavens yeah. in a van. That he, he just, like, tours all the time, playing so much music. And, and it's... I admire somebody that, like, likes music that mm-hmm. much. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's... To have that commitment is, is really... To, and to be in so many different projects and be able to be great at all of them is really something. Yeah, that, that, yeah. I think that, for me, is, like, the mark of, like... Genius is where you can you can do it once, yeah, and that's luck and that's timing. But to be able to do it multiple times with different bands, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. It makes you wonder though, like if it's something that he just you know feels compelled to like want to keep doing something new, like yeah. if it, or it's just the people around him not having the same know. drive. I don't know. I, th- I I think he just has like a lot of ideas. Yeah, I think he just likes a lot of different stuff and like has a lot of creative output, which is. Really cool. Yeah. Because it's can be exhausting. It can be so exhausting. <laughs> I'm so exhausted. Yeah. Creatively I, doing stuff. Oh my <laughs> God, <laughs> I know. And I wasn't in Moondog. I got nothing to brag about. I got no nowhere to lay my hat. <laughs> we're, so when you're going to these all ages shows, were you playing music at this point already? I started shortly after that. It was kind of weird because I would go to shows and want to be playing, but like really not know what I was doing at mm-hmm. all. So I played solo, like acoustic, a lot of times, um, and played original stuff. I'd have a four track with like some backup beats and stuff really? that I'd be playing. Yeah, yeah. Where and was that influence coming? Or was that just? I just didn't. I just didn't. I wanted to have something else there, and yeah. I and the only other piece of equipment I had was a task and four track. So it's just like, okay, I'm gonna use this live because it's <laughs> the only other thing I have. Um, so I would just like get make these very bad beats, like funky drummer style beats on my on my home desktop computer or like record them off a shitty Casio keyboard and then play them live and just like play to them. That's awesome. Um, but like I wasn't very good. Yeah, I don't even still, I don't, for a kid to be doing that. Yeah. I don't even think I knew how to tune a guitar at that point. Um, but it was just like wanted to do something and there wasn't a lot of um, other women I didn't really ever meet, like, I was always playing with, I was always, like, a girl opening for, like, a show full of guys. So it was, there was, it was hard to, like, figure out what I wanted to do because there wasn't really anybody doing stuff. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. just kind of winging it. (laughs) It's it's funny, too, because, yeah, like, I'm thinking back to the bands that I knew from Montreal around then, and it's, like, it's all dudes. Yeah, yeah. There, it was, they, they're... There were obviously there were yeah. people, but it was there wasn't as much like helping each other out or like somebody being like having someone to look up to. It was a little bit different. Because the next wave though of stuff like when you guys came out and then like AIDS Wolf, there's just yeah. like, so many just powerful women out yeah. of that scene, you know. For sure. But it just you're right. Like it must have been. I, maybe I didn't know where to look as yeah. a kid too. Like I wasn't so. I lived in the suburbs. I was trying to like figure stuff out. Maybe I didn't know where to look, so I was just sort of like doing my, doing my thing. What was your first show? My first show, my first official show. I was a little bit older. I think I was eighteen, and I like I had played at parties or like people's houses, and I think I played Lex once. But the first official show was at Casa, opening for Jonah Matranga. <laughs> Sorry, who? One Line Drawing. Well, One Line Drawing, yeah. really? Yeah. Because my friend Chrissy, who had a band called One Candle Power. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this was like already 2000, I think. Um, was just like, hey, just play a show. Like, just open for us and do it. So that was like the first first time I played. And then, I mean, there was lots of shit that happened where like I opened for, I think, that band VHS or Beta. 
okay, one yeah. time, yeah. and I did a Britney Spears cover, and then they like in their interviews for like a year would be like, we played with the shittiest singer. She did a Britney Spears cover. It wasn't even funny. But I was like Whoa. a kid. I was like 17 or 18. I, I don't even remember the exact age, but there was like, you know, I would just take any show, even yeah. if it didn't matter. So there was a lot of playing at people's houses or like, yeah, house parties or house shows. Were you doing it under a, a name at this point? Or what I did it under Bad Flirt, actually. Oh, it was so, Bad Flirt. So, yeah, so, so Bad Flirt's already yeah, started at this point. Yeah, it started just like just as me. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, and so it was just solo stuff. And then it was kind of like, okay, I should probably get a band because this is pretty pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, this isn't what I want to do anyway. So I like switched from acoustic to electric and then sort of just tried to find people to collaborate with. So sometimes it would just be like another guitarist or a bassist or a drummer and then somehow like different people came in and sort of formed a couple times different lineups but yeah. Were you always going for that sound that Bad Flirt would wind up sounding like? Not really. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know I find like whenever I do music I don't know what it's supposed to sound like but I will say that I always kind of at that point I was very influenced by by you know, like 480 shoegaze kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you were one of the first people to be like, you know what you sound like? And you were like, this uh, shoegaze band. And I'd like never heard it before. I was like, I don't know what that is, but it sounds like what I hope we're going to sound like. Was it um, w- was it at that show in Calgary? Yes. That yes. was a crazy ass show. That crazy ass show. Yeah. yeah. That was the show where I was like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you said, like, it kind of sounds like this. And I don't. You guys were awesome. Oh, thank you. That was like, that was the first time I saw you guys. Yeah. And I think I'd probably read about you guys before that and explained. But yeah. We hadn't played together. No. Years, and that was so fun. And that, that was, was just awesome. like, that was like, felt like, okay, this is more like what I want to be doing. Like, it's yeah. more like, obviously loved your band and like, was kind of like, okay, this is sort of more the direction I want to do because when I was playing solo I was also like opening for a lot of punk and emo bands where it's just like I just didn't feel welcome as a woman opening the shows like it was very and even friends of mine who were in bands that were um screamo bands or, or big I would ask for help or advice and I just like would not get it ever um so I felt like that community was really closed off and it was just not really working and then once we we started playing other, we were like slowly playing different kinds of shows and when we played it fucked up, it was like more like, okay, this, this is, I don't know if it was Sled Island, but it was, I, was, I don't think it was Sled I Island. I think it was something else. Well, maybe it was. I don't know. But no, I don't think it was, but it was like the same Sled Island people. But like a different time of year. Different time of year. Yeah. Because I think we'd heard about Sled, they were telling us about Sled Island. Okay, that yeah. Show. Yeah. But there was like a, a festival vibe to that thing that right? day. Because I feel like there was different rooms yeah. happening. Yeah, like, no, we both played upstairs that day. Was there, but was there another? There's some maybe broke. Was was it Slut Island? Broken Social Scene was playing downstairs, or was that another? Time? Oh wait, does that sound familiar? <laughs> it sounds like there was another. I remember there being another thing happening. Yeah, in the basement, yeah. like a big yeah. room downstairs, yeah. and we played in that upstairs room. Yeah, but room. I don't remember. Nor do I. What it was, but I definitely remember feeling like this is a little bit better. <laughs> like, yeah, this is more kind of the thing I want to do. It, it's funny because like, you know, obviously the show's called Turn It Punk and there's like so much like, punk is perfect. Yeah. But it's like, I could only imagine, well I can't imagine what it's like to be in those scenes and dealing with how shitty men yeah. in, in punk can be. Yeah. There's just like, I don't know. Like, it, what's, it's not that I ever, my friends and I who we go like do these interviews with bands and stuff, we, we've looked back now that we're adults been like, that was a little weird that we like just spent a whole um, night in like a bus with people where when we were 16 and these were all like 30 year old dudes like it's a little weird a little weird that like you get the PP pass the like the pussy pass after you do your interview because the band wants you to come backstage after we like experienced all that but we were too like I just wanted to be in a band I didn't care about the guys in the band I just wanted to be in a band so we just were like okay fuck you I'm gonna eat your writer like I really don't care I'm out of here we gotta get a train back to the suburbs like I don't care so we never experienced anything too harsh but it was nobody was really helping we were never look. we were never taken seriously I was never taken seriously doing it it for a while I was definitely like maybe I suck <laughs> maybe I'm just bad at it um but then when it it it, I don't know. It, it just felt like there was nobody really helping. So I've definitely, since being a no I tried to 
help like younger women trying to get work in music, whether it's like our sound engineer Madeline or a, a guitar player or somebody who wants to do art, like just trying to make that opportunity there because it definitely wasn't there when I started. So, mm -hmm. you know. And it's like, it's, it's funny because like that's the whole point behind the scene, right? Is right. to like big people up and try yeah. and help yeah. that next generation. Yeah. But, but it, dude, dudes will be shitty dudes. Yeah, for sure. Where, well, like when you were playing those early shows, like was it just sort of like what kept you going then if you're dealing with so much shit? Like what is, is it just this like, no, I'm going to do this. I don't know, like stupidity, I guess. Like I remember I, I and by this point, like I probably was a little bit older I don't remember what age. I, I think maybe I was in college already, but like friends were going to Florida for spring break where they like, woo, go to spring break. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take the ride, the trip that's like organized by the school, but then I'm going to book my own tour in Florida. Really? Yeah, and I'm going to bring <laughs> my guitar and everything with me so you guys can go do your like spring break shit, but I'm going to like book a Greyhound. So a lot of the tours I did were just like on Greyhound by myself. And I remember that tour that I did in Florida in like Daytona. I don't know where Daytona is in Florida. It's like mid, but I remember thinking like, I'm not in the safest neighborhood. <laughs> it's like walking around playing these like random house shows just by myself. Like, why am I doing this? But I did it like a lot of times in different places. Um, and sometimes like friends would come with me and then just be like, this is not fun. <laughs> wow. But I, a lot of it was just Greyhound and just saying like, okay, I just want to see stuff. How did you like book those tours? Like, how did you know the the people that you were kind of like reaching out to? Not, I didn't always know them. Yeah. And sometimes it was just like through book your own fucking life. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say book your own fucking life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sometimes through that, and yeah. then sometimes just through like other bands asking. But I think it was just the internet, yeah. really. Um, they weren't great shows. No. <laughs> they definitely weren't great shows, but. I also just wanted to travel, kind of, and well, it was an excuse to go. I think the punkest thing I've ever heard is hijacking your spring break trip <laughs> so you can go on a tour. And to make it worse, like, I didn't know what I was doing and, like, had my guitar back in our hotel room at one point, and everyone obviously went, like, swimming and to the beach uh, and, like, dumped towels on my guitar, uh, which then got, like, warped. Uh, <sighs> but I still played the shows. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You probably were playing Sublime songs on oh, it, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh yes, exactly. <laughs> that definitely people were like, "Come on, James!" Like, no, <laughs> not doing it. <laughs> um, uh, that's the thing about you know, like when we saw you guys in Calgary, like mm -hmm. you were out there doing it, and from mm -hmm. the sounds of it, you were like, like doing it on your own. Like, where did that inspiration come, or that drive come from? Like, start just picking up? Is it the lack of support you're getting from people back home? Yeah, I think it was kind of like. I never really fit into any local scene yeah and never really like I don't know so it I always wanted to tour and I always wanted to I had a big fear of flying too so I never really saw anywhere so I wanted to like see stuff and Evan who was here mm -hmm. before we kind of were always just like hey well the best way to learn to do stuff is just to tour like might as well just do it and so it was a lot of tours where which is funny now to think about it. It's just like, everybody put in this much money. We're going to go on tour. Like, we're all putting money towards a tour. Like, what the fucking yeah. hell was that? We're going to lose, we're gonna lose more than this. But this is, we're going to invest. This is the base loss. Yeah. And then, like, stupid moves like buying a van. Where it's like, don't, first thing, don't buy a van. Like, yeah. you don't know what you're doing. But and People don't tell bands No, that. for sure not. And, and definitely, like, that was, that was it. Like, we just thought to go play and just watched what other people were doing and where other people were playing and to me it always seemed like in Montreal bands got bigger elsewhere first mm -hmm. and then once they got big like in the states or in Toronto then Montreal would be like oh yeah we always loved you yeah <laughs> so we just thought like fuck it we're just gonna go somewhere else and play so. Kind of happens here that way too, though. Yeah, you have to go somewhere else and make it. <laughs> yeah, they... like yeah, we always supported you. It's yeah, fun. we always loved you. Yeah, we were always, like, we always no, been. it's not true. Well, what was the transition then from Blad Bad Floor to <laughs> No Joy? Right, like um, you yeah. guys moved to LA. Right? Yeah, we we kind of like. Well, actually, sorry. How did you meet Laura? I guess. Well, oh yeah, Laura was. Uh, she moved to Montreal from Victoria, and okay. she was fourteen or fifteen, and she was like 
the there was like a message board called Twenty Hertz or Style Post. Yeah, Style yeah, Sally yeah. Post or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so she was like the hot kid at shows. Like, who is this hot new kid from Victoria? There was always like a new scene kid, and she was the new scene kid. And then I just like asked her like do you want to play bass and she was like yeah I don't know how I was like whatever she worked at Underworld and was just like whatever it's fine we'll figure it out it's fine she had known Evan because they grew up kind of in the same neighborhood okay so it was just like she was just like a scene little kid that we met and when we would do those bachelor tours like I would have to I was over 18 I'd have to write a letter get her parents to sign it that I was her like um figure like a legal guardian legal guardian once we crossed the border (laughs) Like, because she was underage, like, who are you taking, like, to America? You're smuggling this child. So we had letters like that, because, you know. But she, yeah, we, we did, that's where it started. How many tours did Bad Flirt do? We did a lot of them. We did a lot of them, and it was, like, I can't remember how many. Maybe, like, one cross Canada, and then maybe one full loop of the U.S. But we did, we did a um, East Coast tours, like, over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, we did like a few tours that like, you know, in retrospect, don't share a van with a band you don't know <laughs> and don't trust them when they give you the amount of money you owe at the end because they're probably ripping you off, which is something we, we figured out. We were getting ripped off by like a band that was like, yeah, do this tour with us. You can share a van. You just have to pay us this much money. And then the last day of the tour, I remember being like, wait a second, <laughs> hold on. This math doesn't make any fucking sense. I'm not paying you this much. So it was a really learning experience. Who was the band? Uh, they were called Oppenheimer. They're from Ireland. They could. <laughs> they came over here. They, they came here. They asked us to share a van with them to tour. Um, it was a maybe like North Carolina, Midwest kind of went to Chicago, maybe three weeks or something. And we didn't have our own van, so they said you could do the tour. You could share our van. You pay this much, and they had a, a driver TM that they wanted us to pay for, who wasn't oh doing anything God. for us either. It was just a really crazy experience. Um, How'd you meet them? They emailed us. I think they emailed oh. us. This yeah, this was like 2005. Okay. So they they had emailed us and asked us to do the tour, and they just were like. By the, the last day, I remember Evan and I being like, wait a second. Like, they're asking us to pay this much, but, like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah. the way it was broken down was just we were just paying for the whole thing, whereas we weren't getting, like, guaranteed. They yeah. were getting guaranteed. Were getting we were money. not getting anything. We were just getting a chance to play. Yeah, you're covering the cost yeah. of the tour. Yeah, we were covering the cost of the tour. I was like, okay, hold on. So we, we like split ways before the tour was over and like had to find our own way back home and somebody's dad had to come get us and drive us back to Montreal. It was just like a wow. mess. Yeah, it was a total mess. So words of the wise, don't split a van with people you don't know. Or even people you do know sometimes. Yeah. It might not be the best experience. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the van. Depends on the van. Yeah. Depends on the van. Yeah. Depends on the van. Make sure they're a nice, clean yeah. van. That, yeah. You know. Not just anybody who emails you. Not don't. just anyone that no. emails you. Don't, don't accept those cold Don't. Calls. Yeah, don't accept that. How are you guys getting into the U.S.? Were you doing, like, recording contracts? We were contract? doing something so sneaky that if I say it publicly, okay. I'm afraid. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't stay, stay but, away from uh, <laughs> saying it. Back. But we had figured out a way to do it. Wow. Yeah, because yeah, we got we got dinged bad yeah. one time trying to cross. Really? Yeah. So it was like... It was, it, we knew, and it was... It was we, we made lots of precautions to, to make sure. It's become like... It's a... Uh, it's so weird because, like, you know, once you're in a, in a band and it's just like, you know, you, it sucks crossing the border, yeah. but you just do it. But, yeah. like, as a young kid, the risks you take. I know. Five-year ban? Like, Five-year ban? For, a sh- for your, like, shitty show. That's yeah. Like, nothing is worth that. No. I know. It's so crazy. And, and like, since No Joy, we've always had, v- we've always gone, like, legally yeah. on the visa thing. Yeah. But it's like, that would have been just so much easier than the stress before of, of like, going in with like no I don't know this like kind of backwards way that we were doing it that oh, worked yeah. every time but like that was a gamble we could have been banned for sure which would have affected any kind of visa we got now. oh it affects everything yeah. right like it's just you'd be yeah. dealing with it forever and yeah. it's like as a kid you're like yeah whatever yeah oh my god no <laughs> It's so stupid. It's so stupid. <laughs> so, sorry, I, I cut you off oh, no. for the transition from Bad Flirt to oh, yeah. We So, we did a bunch of touring that wasn't really going anywhere. And everybody had a lot of different expectations. And we had put out a full-length record that was like... Nobody really knew what to do, kind of. I knew that I still wanted to make music, but it was like not really working. And 
we had some some interest from people in LA, so we were kind of like, let's just go be in LA and like go see studios and not, stuff that like doesn't really make any sense. But <laughs> um, so we went to LA, and it turned into kind of a disaster where the drummer brought his now wife but it was his girlfriend at the time and they just made it into like a couple's trip so I'd have meetings at studios and they would say they couldn't go because they're going to Universal Studios and then I'd be like by myself and like oh okay and and Evan like decided it wasn't for him and left so at one point I ended up being like the only member in Laura her mom got sick so she like went back to Canada so it ended up being that like I was the only person there okay and I just started like going to shows by myself so I went to The Smell and I saw Best Coast and I saw um, I saw Miko Miko and I just started seeing like bands where mm-hmm. I was like oh shit this is this is kind of like my level here and I um, Laura was in Montreal but I just started emailing her being like I'm really bored I have all my gear here I'm just gonna let's just write some songs and we just started writing songs and we had like two or three and Evan was booking a show through Blue Skies Turn Black and he was booking Grant Hart and he was like, oh, you're working on music? Do you want to open for Grant Hart? And I was like, yeah, we have two songs, but like, okay, fine. And it was like six weeks later. So <laughs> I went back to Montreal and like Laura and I like tried to find people to play. We had, it was so stupid, like two, it's going to be perfect. Two drummers, two singers, like we had this whole idea, but we like opened that show and had like two songs. <laughs> but, um... It was like it all all kind of happened all in one week where like we played the show with No Joy and I was like, I'm going to do this. And then I got my driver's license and I like got a job but then quit and was like, I don't want this job. Fuck you. <laughs> so it like all kind of happened all in the same week. And, and that was that was it. And then we, we put those two songs up on MySpace and then Mex and Summer wrote us like not that long after. It, that scene, uh, that smell scene is just such a cool... It's so cool. It's, it's awesome how like much different sounds yeah. came out of it. So many, and like, yeah, so many different bands, and it was just such a cool thing to see in LA where I was seeing shows in like non-traditional spaces, and yeah. it was just like, also because it was nice all the time, that you could just have a show outside, or you mm-hmm. can have a show in a backyard, you could have a show in like this little boutique, you could have a show at somewhere like The Smell, and there's just so many things happening all the time, and so many people there and I just was I don't know it was just like a moment where I was able to like pick up on a lot of new music and mm-hmm. and that that's where we just started writing this stuff like I think if I was gonna like and I'm sure there were problems but if I was gonna like be like that was like an idealized punk scene mm-hmm. I think it would be that yeah that time period that yeah. scene those yeah bands that came out of it there was just something like obviously they've they've all like gone different ways and some have blown up and yeah. the industry kind of like poached a lot of it but it was something so pure and so cool, and because a lot of it was all ages, it was really mm-hmm. interesting that there was no, there was no, it wasn't just about like partying, it was kind of just about the show. Yeah. It was about like going to a show, which really reminded me of Lex, or yeah. like places when I was a kid, like you just, you're going to go to every show just to go to every show, even though you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, that was kind of where. I guess that's a scene. Yeah, I guess that's a scene. <laughs> right? Like where you're going, like I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go hang out there. Yeah, I'm just gonna see what's yeah. up. And 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 like yeah, like I was there last year, two years ago, I guess. Yeah. At the smell. Oh yeah. And it's like a whole new crop of bands. Yeah. Whole new crop of kids, but yeah. it's still like it's still a scene. Yeah. And it's like it's it's amazing how you know like you get you remove you remove yourself from it. Yeah. And you're like oh yeah, but it does carry on. It does it's carry on, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they're putting out. Best Coast, Miko Miko, yeah. and Pagoda, and No Joy right now. But <laughs> I know. That's a pretty... Who knows? They might. It might be. They that's might a pretty be. pretty intense run yeah. of, of bands right there. It's funny, too, because we ended up being kind of lumped into, like, Mexican Summer, when, when I kind of recounted the story, they just assumed I lived in L.A., and I was, like, from L.A. Well, because I remember that bio yeah, coming the out bio. about you. The bio. The bio haunts me to this day, where people are like, you're from L.A. It's like, I was fucking in L.A. for, like, three months, unhappy in the room. Like <laughs> You guys didn't do that? No, well, I never. No, I remember talking to Tristan at the time, being like, "Why are they saying from LA? It's such a weird gimmick." I, I know, I know. <laughs> and then, but then we just like got lumped into like all those LA lo-fi yeah. bands that were coming out, and then we ended up being part of like the scene that like we I didn't know those people personally. Yeah, like I had no idea who they were. We we just I was we never lived there, so like. <laughs> 
We tried to make corrections, but then like as soon as like one pitchfork puts it or somebody else puts yeah. it, then it's like okay, it's forever gone. It haunts you. It haunts like no one is from LA. It's no like one that, is from there. It's like that tooth and nail screamo review. Oh my god, it's, it's still ha- there. I'm haunted by the internet. There should be more like white glasses out there because there's not enough because that just comes up. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely. Oh, that's so weird. I, I wanted to ask you like, why did you guys say you were from LA at that time? Yeah, no, oh, no one ever funny. did. And we had band members be like, why are you guys saying like we're not? Why are you saying it's an LA band? It was like it, honestly, it was like a miscommunication with <laughs> the label writing the bio. Just we just said like yeah we. We were in L.A. when yeah. we wrote these songs, but yeah. no one is from L.A. <laughs> so it's got, like, all that, like, beach pop, like, shoegazy stuff of, like, the late 2000, like, 2010. Like, we just got lumped into all those L.A. bands, but I didn't know any of them. Yeah. We didn't know any of them personally. Now you do. Now I do. Yeah. Now I do. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but then I didn't know them at all. <laughs> now, now, you can, but now, now, now it's proven true. <laughs> yeah, now it's true. It came, it came to be true. <laughs> it but came to be true. then it was not true at Manifest all. Manifest destiny. Yeah. Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> that was about so validating though because like you know you guys were incredible but I, I thought Bad Flirt was incredible Thank too you. but to be you know get that recognition finally and to get that yeah. sort of like international awareness it it was kind of weird I think also Laura and I were really burnt out by Bad Flirt and by the like recording process we went through and like just the desperation of like I feel like when we were putting out Bad Flirt stuff the music industry was in a weird time where like they didn't understand music blogs and like it's how to CD sales like it seemed like a weird time so our experience putting out Baffler Records on labels was quite bad what labels were you guys on? there there was a label called Cartel and it was like an imprint of Universal um. in, in Quebec so it was like kind of it was like a rap label okay and they but they had all these budgets for videos and this and that and play this private party and do this thing and it just ended up being like kind of schmoozy yeah so when we started No Joy, it was like, no photos, no press, no anything, fuck you, no. And I was telling the band the other day, it's just like, I look, I think back to like some really cool opportunities where I was just like, fuck you, no. And I was like, now I don't get them. But like in 2010, people were like, do you want to do this thing for this much money? I was like, I don't want to do anything I don't want to yeah. do. When? But like, that's, you're, you're really hypey for like a second and then, you know. Yeah. So at that point, I was kind of like, we didn't want to take any photos. We didn't want to put our names anywhere. We didn't want to have any videos with us in it. We didn't want to do anything. And then slowly realized, like, if you don't do that, the press and internet will just find something else. They'll just make up their own. So the press photos ended up being used that were not ours. And it was just like, oh. You're from L.A. I'm from L.A. Like, if you you don't spell it out, we we wanted it to be kind of anonymous. But people just made up their own. Stuff. Well, it's funny too because like that's almost like the curse of punk, right? Like when you people start offering you these really cool things, but you're like, "No, nah, that's <laughs> shitty." Ian McKay wouldn't do that. Yeah, I'm not in. I know. And then like, you're like, "Now I'm in my thirties, like I, I could use that money." <laughs> I wish I had done that. Fuck. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. It's like how much? Oh, how much I know. is my Ian McKay piece of mind, piece of mind worth? I now? know. It was just so like, even even little things about like sound like just like we're gonna be so loud fuck you i don't care yeah. you don't like it i don't care yeah I'm like oh that's not really nice yeah <laughs> that's, that's not really a nice thing to do but but yeah we learned pretty quickly that if you don't um, tell people explicitly they're just gonna assume that's why people assume laura sang yeah until like now probably <laughs> it's like yeah, she never sang a note but it's okay <laughs> if you don't tell them who sings they're just gonna guess yeah no so, exactly well you, yeah. you know and it's it's like People fill in their own narratives. Yeah, too, totally. And make it oh their own. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> we're sisters. Yeah. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> How did you? Uh, I feel so like you know. I think that's the thing about Quebec that a lot of people don't, from outside of Quebec, realize is that it is a very distinct culture. Yeah. Especially musically. Yeah. That you know, there's stuff that the label you brought up, like yeah. didn't. I don't think any of that came outside of Quebec yeah it was we had been trying to find like a record label but it was just again it was like so like when we started Nojo it was like I don't need a label I'm just putting out this tape we just like made a tape like it was like I don't want any of that industry stuff like we tried with Bad Flirt that was kind of dumb trying to like meet managers inviting managers to shows like well you don't need a manager you don't need that shit like we're just gonna do it ourselves and then like found people in the end but it was the approach was like to go fully ourselves it's almost like you that's what happens i think bands when they do that that's when they find 
yeah. the success because yeah because you're not caring you're much. not trying yeah. <laughs> like everyone wants and nobody wants something that tries too hard and we were probably by the end of Bad Floor we were probably trying a little too hard just because we had invested so much of ourselves in it um, but then with you know and also I'll, I'll credit Evan one thing he told me when I started No Joy was like he was like you're not friends with any local bands like you just have to have friends in bands like just if you're not you don't feel part of a scene just like make friends with bands and and I really took that to heart and like just made it a point to like um, get in touch with like Suna from the Ravenettes who makes our first record just to be like hey I like your band like let's be friends and just trying to like if you don't feel like you're part of a community you can create your own community mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so with Baffler it was just like find industry find industry or like find someone to help as a and then with No Joy it was more just like just surround yourself with like other bands you like and people you like and friends you like and it doesn't matter about the rest of the stuff and that was that kind of worked out because some of the friends I made in like the beginning of No Joy are, are some of my dearest friends now yeah. you know some of the first tours we did are just people I keep in touch with still so yeah well one local band that you probably may not have been friends with but you certainly wound up with a member of which is my familial relationship to your band is Delicious Little Boys. Oh, yeah. DLB. <laughs> DLB. DLB. <laughs> how did... Because, yeah. like, it was so funny. Like, Garland... Like, I knew... I, it's so funny. He grew up, like, so quickly, you yeah. know, obviously, because he's a <laughs> human being. But I remember him as a kid that was into, like, you know, all these, like, ska Scott. punk stuff. Oh, yeah. And, like, Still is. And, yeah, and pop punk. Oh, yeah. And he yeah. doesn't... Yeah. He's not like he hides no. his stuff from exposing anything. But then he was in this kick-ass, like, shoegazy, mm. awesome band. And I just missed that transition <laughs> completely. Garland was introduced to us by our bass player, Yan, who was in a Green Day cover band with him. <laughs> and, and Garland came in one day, and, like, we played the songs, and, like, I forgot to tell him that on the two songs we had recorded... We had two drummers at the time, and we just had them both playing at the same time. And Garland was just like, "These drum parts are really crazy." I was like, "No, they're not." Like, but it was actually like two different drummers at the same time. So he was trying to do all these crazy things and play really fast. And it was just—he uh, is like—he is like a musical genius that he's not—he doesn't know. Like, he doesn't. His ideas are so out of—they come from such a place that's like partially from a guy that listened to ska punk but then also somebody that like says i'm gonna record some vocals on a little mic portable microphone then put it in the dryer then put the dryer on then record the from the outside the dryer to get the vocal sound i want you're like what are you doing he like um has like on one of our records he had like a butt dial from his mom that his mom was singing jolene like to herself in the car and then he was just like, we're going to play. He, he put that out, sampled that on the record. He got a... Um, I don't know if he's ever told Allison that she's on the, the record. <laughs> oh, she's there. There's like a... He got this um, waterproof bag where he would record something and then put it in the bag and then put it underwater and then put the tap on and then record the thing of the tap. Flow. It was just... Like, his ideas were so crazy that it was like... He wasn't coming from punk or ska or shoegaze. He was just like coming at it from like this like other worlds like I don't know I he had no like recording background or anything he just wanted to like do cool stuff I think that's why like even his drumming style was like open hand and like all to the left but he wasn't left handed Mm -hmm. and sometimes he'd wear a mask on stage (laughs) sometimes he was wearing little shorts like it was always something so he he was truly like writing songs with him was always such a pleasure because he would just I would present something and then he would hear something that I was like, I don't know where you came up with that. He would have like a completely different view on it. Well, you got to play soon or you got to get back to the show soon. Yeah. Yeah. Pete is one of the wildest dudes I've ever met. How did you meet Pete? We played Primavera years ago, which another funny story about Garland was like, I turned around during that show and Garland wasn't at his drum set. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I saw he had taken the smoke machine that they had put behind him and was just, like, smashing it. <laughs> he was just, like, fed up with the smoke in his face. And I was like, okay. Um, but we, we played there, and I remember that Pete was at the show, and we had a manager at the time, and I was like, oh, can you introduce me? And our manager was like, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not going to introduce you. So I'm like, fine, I'm just going to email him myself. So I emailed, and we just kind of, like, kept in touch uh, and I always wanted to work with him on something, but it was just how, yeah, uh, and like where he was 
sometimes in New York, sometimes in London, and then he had just moved to Portugal and kind of set up shop like isolated, like by himself. And I had these songs that were never going to become No Joy songs. They were just sort of floating. And I just sort of asked, like, do you want to work on this? And I don't care what you do. <laughs> like, free reign, what do you think we should do? And that's kind of how it happened. Did you work, did you guys do it over the internet? Over or? the internet, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So have you ever hung out with them? No. I remember the, I think it was at that Primavera too. Really, yeah. Uh, I remember being backstage and he busts out this battery and opens it and then all this hash comes out. Oh. I'm like, this is the coolest <laughs> dude I've ever met. Sonic Boom rules. He, he would like, he would tell me about his place in Portugal and all the different plants and the fruits that are there. And I, you know, I'd be like, oh, that's really lovely. Like they sound really nice. And I would get high res pictures of his breakfast. Like, <laughs> oh, I took this plant off the tree and I made this and I'd get like the high res pictures of like his yogurt with this fruit that he picked off the tree it was very cute very sweet but yeah we never like i never partied with him or anything yeah. we just we just worked on the song yeah because you're not like a weed person no not really no no, no you're I missing out on a great opportunity <laughs> to smoke weed with sonic Boom. i know I've, so many people i know have been like oh, i used to buy weed off that oh, dude oh really yeah like back in the oh, day oh man <laughs> yeah he's he's i mean he has a really great uh, like way of writing emails where yeah. he'll just say like if he's saying let us talk about it tomorrow he'll write like lettuce like a like a head of lettuce, lettuce. like oh. let us talk about it tomorrow like really cool style and he's just was such a, a dream to work with honestly he he came up with like crazy ideas and, and like a music genius too yeah. like like someone totally. who definitely thinks out of the box totally and totally doesn't always get credit for it too yeah he he does a lot of stuff people don't realize that he did I yeah think, so it's funny he hasn't been you know you know, like you know spiritualized yeah. is on a certain place but he's like he hasn't been rediscovered in the same way yeah it doesn't seem and it's weird because he he works on like he worked on the beach house record and yeah. things like that where they're like huge audiences but he's not parading being like it's me yeah. I did this thing yeah. um, and you know work with MGMT and Panda Bear and stuff like that where he's so integral to the those records but isn't he's not a showy guy yeah. I don't think he's I like think. legit cool he's legit cool like, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't care if yeah, you like it or he doesn't care if you know it's him he just did it because he, want, he liked music he wanted music. to do it yeah, yeah. yeah. so that, that makes like the myth even crazier it's kind of, like I imagine you're like me and this is just like it's so awesome that, you know, Manifest Destiny, like, where you're, like, mm. now working with yeah. the guy from Spaceman 3. I know, it's insane. I know. that It's so crazy to me, still, what? that, like, he took these songs and, like, worked on them with me. It's so crazy. Well, I think it's awesome. Yeah. I Thank think, you. I think, honestly, your journey is inspiring. <laughs> and Glue Leg. Yeah, Glue Leg. <laughs> from Glue Leg to Bad Flirt <laughs> to Just, No Joy. Here we are. <laughs> here we are. It's a crazy journey. Where to next? We were going to go dig up the bones of the guy from Glue Legs in that cupboard oh over there. Oh, my God. Maybe he works here. Like, I don't even know. I don't think so. <laughs> I hope not. No, no. Teddy Fury worked here. Oh. Who played in the uh, Bobcats. Oh. One of the best rockabilly bands okay. ever in Canada. Damn. So, yeah. Okay, so no Glue Legs. But no, maybe there's a Glue Legs There's probably some Glue Legs signatures oh here. Anyway, Jasmine, thank you so <laughs> thank much. Thank you. I'm so glad we did this finally. You can come back for a part two one day, right? Yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. Thank you, Jasmine, for coming on the show. And you heard right there at the very, very end, I got it in there. We're going to be back for a part two at some point in the future. Also, if you're like, who's the sibling? And you didn't bother searching the last names on your phone. Alisa from Arch Enemy is Jasmine's sister. Very different vocals. Like, I... I'm, I was racking my brain earlier trying to think if there are sibling vocalists that have that diverse kind of vocal sounds. Like Damnation AD and Battery don't sound vocally that different. You know, I like there are differences in those vocals. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I think as far as siblings go, this has got to be it, right? Like this is the most incredibly diverse range of pipes in a family. Yeah, I think we're safe saying that. Anyway, Jasmine will be back, and I will bring up my theory to her next time she's on the show. Speaking of next on the show, next on the show, I got I got something really cool. Next week on the show, I got Jesse Michaels from Operation Ivy and Common Rider and, you know, a bunch of other amazing projects as well. But, yeah, get ready. This is a fun one. This is someone that... Fuck, I've always wanted to talk to. 
I'd never gotten a chance to meet this person. Um, but yeah, and, and this is a cool episode that went to a bunch of different music places that I didn't think it would go that are all super awesome for me to get to talk about. This is a, yeah, this is, was one of those ones where I'm like, damn, I'm glad I do this podcast, you know, cause once in a while you get to talk to someone you never get, you never got to talk to. And it's someone that you've always wanted to talk to and always been fascinated by their journey. And yeah, that is next week on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, you can go out there and make your own culture because anyone can do this stuff. Like, it, you know, I've gotten to do a lot of dumb shit just by being persistent with it and trying stuff out and just hoping that there were people out there that got it. And luckily, there are people out there that get this stuff. So go out there and make your own culture. Do your own shit. And uh, I will see you next week. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.